This is When Spirit Calls, and you on your journey are in the right place. This show is about magic, miracles, and meaning shared through stories, interviews, and channeled messages. We have so much to share about who you are and your divine mission here on the earth. Let's get to it. When Spirit Calls is right now. Our guest today is Kim Colella. Kim is a spirit doula. Her mission is to assist others in birthing their most authentic self into the world. She has followed her spirit's urging to embrace life in all its complexity. She traveled to Calcutta to meet Mother Teresa, journeyed to South Africa to witness the AIDS pandemic, assisted over 25 women in giving birth, and helped many others prepare for their deaths. Kim co-authored Lasting Gifts, Living with Intention and Dying in Peace. She created a card deck, Spirit Whispers, and she published her memoir, Spirit Embraced, a guiding memoir for a life authentic and free. That book also happened to have won a 2019 Nautilus Award and a 2020 American Book Fest Award. Kim also received her Bachelor of Arts from the College of St. Benedict and a Master's in Spirituality from Seattle University. She received the College of St. Benedict's 2016 Service Award and 1992 A Decade Award. She is also the recipient of the 2010 Laureate of the Greater Tacoma Peace Prize. This woman is no stranger to service to this world. Oh, hello, everybody. As always, I am so happy to be here with all of you, and especially with our guest today, Kim Colella is here. Hi, Kim. Hello. So glad to be here. Thank you. I was just going to say, I'm so happy to have you here. And so, you know, we're going to dive in today because you and I had a little bit of a conversation even before we got started today, and we learned that we actually have some really divine connections and so I cannot wait to learn more about the journey that you've been on because you've written books as, you know, as people heard in our bio. I mean, you have so much to offer this world and I just cannot wait to dive right in. So as we usually do, I would love to hear the story and the journey. We want to know how you got here. <laughs> oh, well. I'm going to have to pick and choose because there's so many stories. Um, but I, I, I want to start with kind of the first big moment was when I was about somewhere between eight and 10 years old, I think closer to eight. And I grew up in a, in a very tumultuous household. Um, there were eight kids. And my mother was a single mom when she was one, one month pregnant with the eight. And... Uh, my dad lived on the streets in late stage alcoholism. So there was a lot going on. <laughs> now that I'm older and a mother, and you know, I have such a different view of what my mother was going through at that time. So on a on a day that had been particularly hard, that night I woke up in the middle of the night in bed, and there was this deep loving presence surrounding and I knew in that moment that I could have a different kind of life 
Mm. And that night I committed myself to love. Wow. Just following a pathway of love. At just eight years old or around there. That's so incredible. Did you know what that light was? Did you know what that energy was? Did you connect it with God or? Yes. Like, you know, I grew up Catholic and I, I call that God. Uh, but as I've gotten older, that term has been a bit co-opted in ways I don't like. So I call it love. And that's been the guidepost of my life to follow that voice of love within me. That's deeper than all the clamoring voices that want my attention. Mm -hmm. um, and to keep going deeper into that voice of love and trusting it. And trusting it has taken me to places that seemed preposterous at the time. <laughs> um, and yet it was persistent. And one of them being, you know, you mentioned that I was an author. And that's a term I'm growing into because I never considered myself a writer. But when my son was uh, graduating from high school and getting ready to go off to college, uh, I think it was his junior year, I started asking, when Sam leaves and that energy is released in me from being full-time mom, what am I going to do with that energy? And the voice was, right. And my response was, no. <laughs> and the voice kept saying it over months. Right, right. And finally, one day I said, what am I supposed to write about? And I heard back, tell the stories that long to be told. And I was like, oh, I can do that. Wow. And so I said yes. And I think it was about March or May was one of the end ones when I said yes. And the only my husband knew about this. I didn't tell other people I was going to write a book. And out of the blue, one of my cousins who lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, wrote me an email, which at that time she did about once a year. And in it, she said, Kim, I'm going back to Minnesota, where we're from, um, for my mom's 100th birthday. And my apartment and car here in Santa Fe are just going to be sitting here if you'd like to come use them. I'm leaving the first week of October. And I don't know if I had said this, that I asked Spirit to give me until October to start the book. Mm -hmm. I said yes, but I said I need the summer to be with Sam and not to be focused on a book. And then I need a month after he's, uh, you know, to adjust. Yeah. So I'll start, I'll start October 1st. And she sends me this email like a month after I'd made that commitment. Wow. And so I went to Santa Fe and the first, uh, my book has four sections. The first section was written while I was in Santa Fe. Just It just poured out. And so that was one of those things of spirit saying, yeah, I'll do this. And me being like, what? Um, my other, I don't know if I have time for another story. Spirit, but, but the, the the experience that really solidified in me that I could trust spirit wholeheartedly and follow spirit was when I turned 30, I was still single at the time, and 
I learned that there was a community called Larsh in Calcutta, India. And I had always wanted to go to Calcutta to meet Mother Teresa. That was a childhood dream. And when I learned that there was a Larsh community, which is a community that's in 110 different countries, uh, it's a community of people with developmental disabilities and those who choose to live with them as family. And I had been part of the community here and lived in the community for a short time, one of the houses here. And I just love that community because in the community, everybody is considered equal and with inherent value. And those folks taught me so much about loving in life, right? So when I heard that there was a large community in Calcutta built on some of Mother Teresa's land, I decided I was going. Wow. And again, I decided sometime in the spring that I was going, and I wrote on my calendar, because that's when we had paper calendars, right, on August 31st that I needed $1,400 in order to buy my plane ticket. I was self-employed. You know, I needed someone to take over my clients while I was gone, all these things. And I started paying off any debt I had, any bills I had, paying things. And the night before, on August 30th, I'm driving home from work. All my clients the next day are either on insurance, so I won't get paid for them for many weeks, right? That's three months, or they're on account, which means they've already paid. And I'm driving home and I have $200 in my bank account. And I'm thinking, I'm not supposed to go. Um, yeah. And I hear this voice say, just wait. And I go to work the next day. And my coworker went to her mailbox. And there was an insurance check in there for me. I went to my P.O. box. And there was an insurance check for me. A man walked in and bought 30. No, he couldn't have bought 35. He bought 12 gift certificates. I bought 12 gift certificates for my services. Nobody had ever done that before or ever after. At the end of the day, I was 82 cents short and I had a dollar in my pocket and I slammed it on the desk of turns. I'm going. I'm going. My business partner said, going where? I'm going to get down on a big mother, Teresa. And I'm so excited. And I left uh, in October. October 30th, I stopped in Thailand on the way, and I enrolled in a yoga teacher training because in Nepal, because I had written and written to the Larsh community, and they never responded back. So nobody on that side of the world was expecting me. So I had met a man, Sushil, at a sacred dance institute, and he invited all of us to come to his yoga teacher training. And I'd had three hours of yoga in my leg, so I thought I was ready for the teacher training. <laughs> so I signed up for that and showed up in Nepal, and he never got my message I was coming. So here's, you know, me thinking. So I was there for a month, and then I took two buses and a train down to Calcutta. Got a room at the YMCA. Calcutta, you know, it's massive, and so many people. And the average vehicle at that time was six miles an hour because there was you couldn't go faster than that. Wow. And I didn't have an address for Rush. I had nothing. And I slept 
for a long time. And then I got up and I was leaving and the man at the desk said, oh, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to find a community called Larsh. Larsh at that time had 13 people, 13 members. And this man said, oh, I know Larsh. Oh, and gave me the address and told me how to get there. And I got there after two hours and I asked to meet Mark LaRoche, the director. And this man said, well, I'm Mark. And I said, hi, Mark. My name's Kim, and at that place, my maiden name's Ebert. I said, my name's Kim Ebert. Have you heard of me? <laughs> and I told him we'd written, and he said, well, come on in. I need to talk with you. So we sat and we talked for about an hour. And then he turned to me and said, Kim, we generally don't allow anyone into our community for less than three months because it takes that long to acclimate. Hmm. I only had six weeks left because I had gone to Right. And he said that we've been praying for two weeks that God would send us someone. I guess you that someone. Oh. So he asked me to move in there as well as to work there. And, and then, you know, after being there a couple of weeks, I had a day off and I went to Mother Teresa's home for the dying and destitute all day and then went to her mother's house for prayer. And when you walk into our chapel on the right-hand side is for the volunteers, and on the left-hand side was for the nuns, of which there were about 200. And I sat down right at the aisle in the hopes I could get a glimpse of her. And she came in and sat down right across from me. Hello. Oh, I have goosebumps with this. Right across me. Oh, I did not cry at all i just kept looking <laughs> i just couldn't believe it and then afterwards um she announced you know as catholics had have this thing called confession that confessions would be available and i i'd had a really hard entry into calcutta i got giardia within 24 hours you know i lived with men who are developmentally disabled and those who spoke english i couldn't understand and that really frustrated me and those who spoke bengali I hadn't learned anything yet, so I was really frustrated. And I'd met two women from Scotland that day who invited me for tea. So after she announced confessions would be available, I left with everybody who was leaving. People stayed in the chapel who wanted to go. But I left, and then I went down this long hallway to have an argument with myself as to whether I should go to tea or whether I should go to confession. And I was out there for like, seven minutes, and all of a sudden, here comes Mother Teresa. She had to come out a door, zigzag, come all the way down this hallway where I was the only person standing. Mm. And she comes up to me, looks me up. She was very short. I'm only 5'2", and she was looking up at me. Uh, so, you're going to confession? And I said, yes, Mother. <laughs> and she took me by the hand, and she led me into the chapel, pointed at my head, and said the line for confessional joy. We'll start here. So that whole experience, everything that fell into place that never should have. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason for that story, right? And it all so ever since then I have followed that voice. I have followed it over and over and over. And I've created a life for myself with spirit, communion with spirit, 
beyond anything I dreamt of as a child. Oh, him. I I have to start by just saying thank you for sharing that story because I've been feeling Mother Teresa, or we could call her Saint <laughs> Teresa, but she she says, "Call me Mother." I hear that all the time when I'm doing <laughs> sessions with people. I say, "Oh, Saint Teresa's here," and she goes, "Call me Mother." <laughs> it's like I mean, she's very hu- humble, isn't she? And yes. so the fact that this is the story that has come to the surface and being one of those really significant catalysts for you and really just trusting in spirit, I think is so powerful for our listeners. And what a gift it is for each of us to even just hear your story, because through your story, I feel her grace and I feel her love. Uh, And so thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, thanks for letting me. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> oh, I just I'm just goosebumpy over here. And so I'm sure as people are listening, you're feeling it too. And so, you know, how brilliant of you to listen to that to manifest that $1,400 you needed, right? Like that dollar in your pocket just to, <laughs> to top it off. And then to bring you into this experience where not only did you get to sit across from Mother Teresa, but she came and found you essentially to guide you to confession. And that, and, yeah. And she, uh, another time I was there, she invited 30 of us to come on New Year's Eve and sit with her. Wow. And I sat right at her left foot. Wow. There was nothing between her left foot and I but an inch of air. Wow. And got to listen to her, tell her, talk about her beliefs. And, it was just oh, magical. It feels magical to me. So, you know, did you feel that sense of angelic presence that I often associate with Mother Teresa? Like, do like okay. I'm just curious to know because I feel like if I met her, if she was still with us in the in the presence, that my I would feel it vibrationally. And I and I mean I do feel it even now in this moment, but I'm curious to know, you know, what that really was for you. So I wasn't as tuned in the energy bomb as I am now. Right. Right. And I had this expectation that I were I was gonna see these bars of light coming out of her head, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. When you see it, I halo. Doesn't she have a halo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just kept looking at her and thinking, she just looks like a humble old woman. Mm, wow. And when I was sitting at her feet, I felt like I was sitting at the feet of a beloved grandmother. Wow. Yeah. The beloved grandmother. Yeah. yeah. You know, or there's a day I was walking in the mother house and she came around the corner and stopped. You know, she asked me if I had my rosary because when you went into the mother house, they gave you these plastic rosaries. And I said, Oh no, I put it back. And she said, Oh, you keep what you can get. You know, so she had this funny side. She asked me how I was, and I said, I'm fine, but how are you? You just had heart surgery. Oh, yeah, I have two now. You know, they gave me a pacemaker. So there was just this little impish part of her. She was so ordinary. Oh, so, which to me is beautiful because yeah. I feel like it's in our ordinariness that we can be a light in the world right mm. that 
we don't come into the world with this halo and this, you know, I mean, we all come in with the light, but yeah. it's, it's just saying yes to the light. Saying yes to the light. Yeah. Saying yes to, you know, she said yes to caring for the poor. That wasn't some, something somebody invited her to. It's what she heard inside she was supposed to do. Yeah. And she followed that. And I think that she's a mentor for us in that. I love that. I love that you describe her as ordinary because I think we put people on pedestals right? and, and they feel so far from us. Even even my relationship with God, you know, God was this big father in the sky and it was so far from me. Do you know what I mean? It felt so above me. And so we move through this world feeling less than, don't we? And when you just said that she was ordinary, she was just like us, <laughs> it's almost like you just gave us permission to be who we are, to not be anything extraordinary, but to just be who we are and not require us to do anything in order to earn worthiness in order to be of service to the world, right? We simply allow ourselves to be who we are. So I really love that. For me, that was a big takeaway in what you just shared there. So Kim, obviously this transformed your life. And as a result, you came into this beautiful healer teacher role yourself. And so in a way you followed in Mother Teresa's footsteps, I would say. Can you share who you're helping to serve now? Who are those people that you are are guided? Well, yeah, you know, it all morphs. So I think I'll begin by saying when I went to Calcutta, I had been a massage therapist for about three years at that point. Yeah. I was I did massage therapy until February of twenty twenty two. So just recently. Wow. Um, I'd been getting the messages that I needed to stop doing massage. I wasn't listening because I loved my clients. Mm -hmm. And many of them had uh, over 50% of my clients had been coming for it for over 25 years to see me. Wow. So leaving was very, very difficult. But as the universe and as love does, eventually we have to listen. So I was forced to listen and I did. Um but even in that, there was a period of time where I was a birth doula yeah. because people, I haven't been trained as one, but people kept asking me to be their doula. And then I got trained after being at like 15 births. And I've studied after helping people uh, transition, which has been so intensely beautiful. I find death as beautiful as birth. I love being at the bedside. I love helping to bathe the body after the person has died and preparing them, preparing the body, right? Somewhere along the line, I read, you know, 20 years ago, someone said, we're, we've grown in our ability to be with the dying, but we jump over the, we jump over the body. Yes. To get to the living. And I personally find that if we can stay with the body, bless the body, be present, feel that the spirit isn't in the body, that it qualitatively changes our grief. 
Uh, I I just felt shivers through my body. And such a beautiful thing for you to speak of is that you find even the death process just as beautiful as the birth process, you know, if not more. And truly, you know, we seem to think in our humanness that there's this finite end, <laughs> right? Right? And and you probably have a deeper sense of knowing that it is not finite, that is just the beginning of something else. It's just that yes, left behind just don't happen to know what the something else is. <laughs> well, right. And this is what I like to tell people is that I imagine myself in the womb and how terrifying it must have been when things started to get different, you know? And I'm being pushed into a place I know nothing about. That's right. I have no idea what's on the other side of that cervix, right? <laughs> no idea. You probably no have idea. And the baby inside is like, oh, okay, this is it. <laughs> and, and the baby left everything it knew. It did. Everything it knew to go through. And I believe that death is our next big birth. I agree. And there's no way we can imagine. But I believe it's going to be more expansive than anything we can begin to imagine. I think you're right about that. Yeah. So so I've done this death work. I've written a manual to help people, co-authored, to help people get their end of life things in order as a gift to their loved ones so they know where the important papers are or the shutoffs to the water to the letters for their children, all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, in the midst of doing massage therapy and all these other things, right, I started to feel like when people said, well, what do you do? And my primary work was massage therapy. I'd say, oh, I'm a massage therapist. And every time I felt like it just doesn't, it's too small for what I do. It's like, taking a picture of my big toe and saying, this is who I am, right? Yes. So uh, sometime, I don't know how many years it's been now, possibly 10, but time has been wiggy these past years, right? So I decided to call myself a spirit doula. Yes. And my goal as a spirit doula is to assist others in birthing their spirit into the world more fully. And I just believe that the more we embody ourselves, the more powerful we are. So to become fully embodied and let the truth of who they are shine. Beautiful. I yeah. I love this uh, this way to look at life and to have somebody to help us move through all the transitions, such as yourself, is is a gift to us because we're having deaths and rebirths as we move through life. Right? Any transition, right? whether it's divorce, the change of a job, the, the, a move, you know, all of it is um, transition, right? Yeah. Empty nesting. Emptiness, right. all of it. All the things, right? Yeah. And so it's a beautiful space to be in to help us as we move through these, you know, what for some it's very difficult to move through those. So Kim, what are the things that you want to share with people or what do people need to know or what did you learn from your experience that is really important for them to understand about their own connection with spirit. So what are the things that 
will help people to transition more easily. Oh, well, one of the things I would say is don't do it alone. Perfect. Yeah. Create community and relationship, A, with your own spirit. But then utilize your ancestors, your angels, your guides. Anything that for you is holy. Yeah. You know, one of my teachers once said that our ancestors aren't necessarily our bloodline, although many of them are. But not all of our bloodline are what they would call an ancestor. The ancestors are those beings who are there for your growth and transformation, right? So I have uh, what I call a soul council. Mm-hmm. And when I have big decisions to make, the very first time I did this, I sat down, I intuitively put out however many chairs I thought would show up. There were seven. And then I just had my journal. Had my questions, but then saw who showed up. And of course, MT showed up, Mother Teresa, and Mary Magdalene showed up, and Alethea, Speaker of Truth, showed up, and Sigmet, who's this Egyptian. Yes. Or, you know, one time showed up. The surprising one was Princess Diana, who I have no big connection to at all. And I was like, what are you doing here? You know, and I, I'm writing as I'm welcome yeah and so i said why are you here and she said i'm here to remind you of yourself oh brilliant and so each of them you know and then i would ask my questions and then i would hear what jesus had to say and i'd hear what mary magdalene had to say what alethea had to say what sigmund had to say and so I still do that. I still sit. To, I don't put out the chairs now. I just imagine the chairs. Yeah. yeah. But I sit. I sit and I welcome them. Um, new members have joined. My grandma Rosie O'Reilly uh, shows up now. Wow. Um, yeah. As well as Saint Claire and Saint Bridget. Mm. You know, you can tell my Catholic roots. Um, and so they, they've joined me, and I just ask them to guide me in whatever it is I'm trying to step into or a challenging conversation or a big decision. Right? All of it. I love this because I also have a divine counsel. And I know. Yes. And it's one of the things I encourage in a lot of my teachings is to remind you to build the relationship with your divine counsel. And in that way, you know, even though there are aspects of ourselves in many regards, right, if we think about going deeper into the fact that we are all one and there are dynamic aspects of our beingness, it still is so helpful. And I love that you put the chairs out to kind of get yourself set up because a lot of people in their logical minds are like, oh, this is weird. I, I can't talk to Jesus. You know, he's not there. It's like, well, what if you created a space for Jesus to sit with you? What if you created the space for Mary Magdalene or Mother Teresa? And sometimes that can help us to really gain the benefit and the connection and the innate wisdom that is so present for us when we're willing to come into communion with 
those energies with that love that is for us. So I love that you did that because that reminds me to remind our audience that we have our divine counsel, our soul counsel that is there to help us. And if you struggle with that, create the environment in which they can come and be with you. Putting out chairs is a wonderful way to do that, I think, as you're getting going, right? Yeah, and I would say play. Or play with it. Up. Yes. Yeah. Play with it, you know? Just um just explore it. There's an author named Lorna Byrne who wrote a book called Angels in My Hair that I really enjoyed reading. And she's seen angels her whole life. And in one of her newsletters, she said she especially wanted Bob to work with the angels and that they needed to just play with it. So I told my husband, you know, well, first I said to him, I think you should try to work with the angels. And he was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then I showed him her newsletter a week later and he's like, okay, okay, I will. I listen. And he's a hospice chaplain and he went to work and invited the angels to guide him. And he walked into a patient's room who he'd met many times before. And the man was very gruff at him. He said, I don't want to visit today. And so my husband said, okay. And just sat down next to him and sat in silence with him. And after about five minutes, the man burst his heart open and talked at a depth that he'd never talked before. So he came home and said, okay, okay. <laughs> I surrender. I you got it. It's so brilliant. And, you know, the energy of play comes up all the time. And it's not just a message for our own, you know, connection. That energy of play, there's a ripple effect to that. And there's a joy that can come with that, too. And I think what happens to many of us as we age is we forget to play. You know, you think back to being a kid, you would use your imagination and create all these scenarios and you would play and you would interact and you would be talking to the, you know, to the, you know, whatever imaginary friend or what have you. And we lose that as we get older. And I think that if we allow play to become more consistent, and I oftentimes will just say, even if you're just making up a song. You know, like that's play to me, right? That's being allowing that energy to come to the surface and there's joy that comes with that. So I think that it play is a fundamental piece in in our aspects in living in joy, in living in love and allowing ourselves to be curious about yes. what else is there. Right. And I believe it um, helps us to bypass the need to do it right. Yeah. The need to be perfect, the need to, you know, if I do it right, someone will, you know, I'll hear something. If I do it right, this will happen. No, just play with it. And if no- nothing happens, okay, today wasn't your day, or maybe this isn't your tool. Let's see what your next, what's another tool yeah. that you can use, right? And I've spent my adult life creating my toolkit. And studying with um, some incredible people who I consider masters in the fields of psychology and quantum physics and uh, meditation, 
whatever and anthropology and I've gleaned yeah from them right and made their tools my own yeah it's brilliant and that's I think that's a, a another piece that we can offer our listeners today is that there's so much wisdom out there and even though we have innate wisdom in us sometimes as we reach out into the world we can gather and collect more pieces of validation for our own inner knowing and we can write different ways to share the message so that it can be received by the world as we know it so kim uh i feel like we can just go on and on about this final message what do you want to share with the people uh, and I know we've got a gift in just a moment, but what would be one thing that you feel really compelled to share with the world? So the thing that came up while you were just talking, I think that must be it. And that's that the voice of love, whether it's from our own spirit or somebody else's, will always expand us. It will not contract us. Mm. The so any belief system, any uh, speaker whose message makes you more contracted about what's right, what's wrong, what's I believe is not from love because love is expansive and it's inclusive and it's curious. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it can be hard. You know, as you said, there's so many teachers out there. Find a teacher who will not contract you in what you expect of yourself. Mm -hmm. Find a teacher who will witness your goodness yes. and will, you know, witness what it is and remind you what it is that lights you up. Mm. Well, you have lit me up today. I thought <laughs> okay. I've loved listening to you. I've loved your the beauty in your stories. And and folks, what a beautiful message. The voice of love is expansive. That in itself is like pure gold to me. And I feel expansive just saying that. So Kim, thank you so much for being with us. I know that you have a gift that you're going to offer everybody. So that gift is going to be in the show notes, folks. Do you want to tell them a little bit about this meditation that you've got for everyone? So it's an audio recording I did. Uh, one of my favorite exercises called Illuminate Your Field. And I do this exercise when I'm walking to a difficult conversation or a big potent conversation or when I'm speaking on a podcast and I want my light to shine, right? Um, whenever I want to bring my best, fullest, most loving self, I do this um, meditation. So I made an audio tape of it, uh, which will be available to you. Well, I want to I want to illuminate all the time. So this will just go <laughs> to my playlist. And I'm just going to play it over and over again. I can't wait to listen into that. Thank you so much for that gift, Kim. And I think we're going to just finish with this beautiful song psalm that you have channeled this beautiful message. This is how we're going to wrap things up. So I'm going to let you uh, go ahead and share this with us. It's called Singing Me a New Song. 
Sing in me a new song so beautiful and true that the old slow tune of my past existence no longer resonates in this new place of myself. Breathe into me the story of my life path with such force that it takes my breath away. And I gulp. I gulp in this new reality of me, fully lived. Mm, fully lived. So that uh, comes from me listening to spirit and hearing what spirit says back to me. And I call them my soul psalms. And I don't believe they're just for me. I believe they're for me to share with others. Thank you for sharing your soul psalms with us. Kim, it has been a true joy and pleasure to have you today. Folks, thank you again so much for being with us and listening. Of course, that link for the Illuminate Your Field meditation is going to be in the show notes for you. And again, as usual, sending you love until next time. Thanks for tuning in to When Spirit Calls. Bye. Thank you. So happy you could join us today. And we hope that you found comfort and inspiration with wherever you are at right now. If you feel you received a gift in today's message, please pass that gift along to a loved one by sharing this episode with them. To continue this conversation, please join me at rosehope.ca. And when you do, be sure to access your free gift by signing up for the When Spirit Calls newsletter. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again soon.